Mile High Hockey Lab. Mile High Hockey Lab. Hello and welcome to the Mile High Hockey Lab. My name is Adrian Hernandez. I am your host today. This podcast and broadcast are brought to you by MileHighHockey.com, your SB Nation site for all things Colorado Avalanche. I'm here today with Evan. Say hello, Evan. Hello. Ignore the tongues <laughs> in my mouth, but hello. <laughs> I'm here with Jacob. You as well, hey guys. Hello. And last but definitely not least, Jackie K. How you guys doing? And lady. Pretty good. Yeah, good. Good. Happy to hear it. So, first of all, listeners and watchers, thank you so much for tuning in. Like I previously mentioned, we are a... Uh, I guess I I wouldn't want to call us an institution. We're not that prestigious, (laughs) but basically we're an entity, a media platform that is dedicated to Colorado Avalanche news. Um, If you enjoy the Colorado Avalanche, please be sure to subscribe and share on YouTube. Make sure you turn on your alerts. That way you can um, be alerted every time we're broadcasting live. Um, and just so you know, all of these broadcasts are available in their recorded form after the show on Spotify, iTunes, and Audible. Um, so for today, we're going to get into a, a few topics. We're going to talk about the Avalanche and their recent victories. Um, we're going to talk about our poll of the week. And then we're going to touch a little bit on some players that might be returning soon. Timelines for guys like Gabriel Landeskog and stuff like that. So, again, if you love it, if you love Avalanche hockey, please give us a follow on Twitter. You can follow us on Twitter at, at Mile High Hockey or the podcast itself at, at MHH underscore lab. Whew, that was a mouthful this time. So, <laughs> let's get right into it then. So, let's just talk a little bit about the Avalanche and their two recent victories over what I would consider foes that aren't necessarily formidable in terms of at least our expectations for the avalanche but they did get the victory and i'll start with you evan what do you take from these two victories and do you take more from their two victories over ottawa and detroit or more from their loss to the bottom of the league chicago blackhawks you know i i take more this is going to sound bad, I feel like, but I'm going to, I take more from the Chicago loss than the other, than these two wins. And I think, and here's my reasoning before people come at me for it, is that um, obviously that Chicago loss hurt. We saw what that did to the players, to the fans, the community as a whole, just like, oh my God, we need to be like actually really worried about this team now. Um, and I think, the reaction that has come after that is something that I'm specifically looking at. Um, sure. The victories are great. They're, they're wonderful. I mean, what was it? They scored, was it 12, 13 straight goals without giving up, which is great. Incredible. Um, but that also comes with players putting in dedication and resetting themselves and making sure that they are looking out for one another and are there for each other. And I think that that meeting that they had before practice on Friday, where they where it came out like half an hour, 45 minutes late, um, later than their scheduled time. Um, that meeting did something, of course, yeah. to be a fly, to be a fly in the wall in that meeting. Had but to... that meeting obviously did something to that team to at least get help them get the two wins, um, you know, to, to get the last two wins this weekend. I'm more looking forward to seeing how that meeting 
and how that's going to take this team forward, especially on this tough road trip that they're about to go on. Yeah, and I think I'd agree with you. That's kind of why I posed the question that way, because it's like the Avs are beating teams in the last two games that they're supposed to beat. Um, and they lost to Chicago, who is a team they probably should beat damn near every time they play them. Um, Jackie, do you have anything to expand on that? And who's kind of stood out for you in the last couple games? Um, I guess I'd like to hope that the last two wins are more meaningful. Um, as far as the Chicago game, you don't want to pin it on one game too much. Like to me, that definitely felt like a rock bottom and not just because of where Chicago was in the standings, but it was just the culmination of bad play. So I feel like what they had done like against Florida and against Vancouver last week, like those games were worse in my mind. It's just that like Chicago was the exclamation point. So kind of to go off of what Evan said is they've got to continue it. Like these two wins were a breath of fresh air and you hope that it's more meaningful than just one bad game. I mean, they lost to Arizona last year. Like every team has a bad game, Mm -hmm. but it was about way more than just that. It's, it's basically been bad since December 1st for sure with, with a little blip there in the middle when Georgiev was putting up a nine sixty. So they got to do more than just win two games to really dig out of it. But um, as far as who stood out, I think Newhook had a great game against Ottawa. I think lekkonen has been really good. I think, um, you know, when he's going and he's scoring, he's kind of streaky, maybe a little bit like Rodriguez. But when he's hot, that definitely adds to what the Avs are able to do, especially at five on five. So I'd probably uh, point out those two guys as – as um ones that have impressed me over the two wins yeah it's funny it seems like ever since new hook got hit in the face with a puck like, <laughs> been out, lights out. <laughs> i don't know if that's and a he, he, that's a formula he should try to replicate but <laughs> he just metaphorically needed a punch in the face yeah i got that in the form of a puck and not a fist. yeah exactly and but you know I, what if it works, worked. it works. Yeah, it's it's uh. like Jackie said, you know, Newhook stood out and Lekkonen, of course, stood out. And I think it's interesting that you don't mention the Rantanins and the and the McKinnons, but I think that's you're you're right in not mentioning those two because they are consistent performers and that's what you need from them in order to be successful. So them standing out isn't really a thing because they constantly produce. Uh Jacob, I'll I'll kinda go down to you on a little bit more of who stood out. I think Frankie was obviously great in his shutout. He had a little bit of a tough go on a couple of the goals against, against the Red Wings. Uh, Why do you think that that might've been? um, And do you think Frankie's two games is enough to spell Gorgie the time he needs to kind of get back to where he was? Um, It could be just because, you know, Frankie had a long layoff, you know, Georgie played, what was that, 14 games in a row, 13 games in a row like that. So, you know, the hope is that it's just, it's Frankie knocking off the rust a little bit. Right. Um, You know, I, I think these last two games are encouraging in the sense that they beat the living crap out of these two teams. (laughs) And that's, you know, one of the, the hallmarks across all sports, whether it's, you know, hockey, football, doesn't matter to identify good teams is teams that beat the crap out of really bad teams. You know, right. if this was like a two nothing win, I think that we, we would be sitting here saying like, Oh, I don't know. You know, no, there's no evidence they've really turned the corner, but you know, going on a 12, nothing run against two teams that they should be, you know, doing that too is 
you know, a little bit of a, a sigh of relief. You know, the the bad play has piled up to the degree that two games isn't going to completely revert, reverse their fortunes. But, you know, like Evan said, that that team meeting on Friday uh, and then coming out, you know, with these two games like that is it is encouraging to see a bit of a reaction there, because I think that part of the problem is, you know, these this really bad stretches, they've just kind of played a soft game. You know, it's all been to the the outside. They haven't really, you know, attacked the the center of the ice. They've just been floating around the zone. And I think that what you saw a lot more in the Detroit and Ottawa games was just going straight for the slot and just yeah. trying to, you know, yeah. outmuscle guys into the middle of the ice and just playing a, a stronger game because, you know, you want to create possession around the out, outside and that's how, how you can keep it. But, you know, the chances are, are in the middle of the ice. And so I think that's the most encouraging thing to come out of these last two games is they really attack the center of the ice in a way that they hadn't throughout this last stretch. Yeah, and I'd say, too, that they were stronger on the point of the puck uh, in this last two games than they ever have been. And I think Bednar even mentioned that this morning in his interview um, on altitude. I-, I totally agree with you. I think, like, it's it's not that they haven't been putting in the effort, but their effort has been used differently over this spell, I think, of struggles. And and they're they've whether it was the meeting or not, whatever it was, they've gotten back to the mindset of being strong on the puck and then make mistakes, but make them at a hundred miles an hour. Whereas it seems like in the beforehand, it's like don't make any mistakes. So go a little softer on the point of the puck so that you're not caught out of position. But when you do that, you actually give the opposition more room to make a play and make a pass. So. I think that's a that's a good observation. So I think that's also a good segue into our poll of the week, which when the Avalanche won and won so handedly, it seemed like a lot of uh, and whatever altitudes. It's their job to hype the Avs, so I can't really hate on them too much. But everyone, the talk was, well, the Avs are back. That might be true, uh, but the poll says sorta. And I'll start with you, Jackie. Are the Avs back? Yes, no, or sorta, and why? Yeah, my uh, response was sorta. And I guess my question is, what does back mean? Does it just mean like as good as last year? Does that mean as good as they've played this year? Um, But I'll just say like it looked a lot more like Avalanche hockey the last two games. The pace they were playing at, they were able to complete passes. They played more aggressive. Like you, you just mentioned. Um, so it definitely looked more like avalanche hockey. So that's where I would lean into. Yes. Um, where I still in the sorta is that they've had issues this whole year with the depth, with the five on five scoring, and it's going to take a lot more than two wins to really show where this team's at in regards to those two things. So I think those are their big long-term questions and I don't think they're going to get answered for a while. But for now, I do think they can sustain that more avalanche style of play. Hopefully they're out of the funk that they were in. Like, they were never as bad as they were the last couple of weeks. Right. But um, just where's the ceiling? And I'm not quite sure where the ceiling is right now. But I do think they'll start to, you know, look better, play better, and uh resemble their identity a lot more yeah i think that's a good way to put it like resembling their identity is how i would constitute being back and we did get we did get pieces of that in the last two games i'll jump over to you jacob what 
what to you does being back mean for this Avalanche team? If if they aren't already there, what will it take to get there for you? I mean, I don't think that we can say they're back until Landeskog comes back. Because um, really, like, you know, what has made the Avs so great these past few years is their depth. And so it's a strange thing to be talking about this year, saying, you know, the bottom two lines are net negatives pretty much the, the entire year. And so, you know, assuming that everybody else is healthy when Landeskog comes back, you know, that likely pushes Comfort down to the third line. You know, maybe it's Nachushkin or Rodriguez. Either way, it's a big name that gets pushed down to the third line, which means that, you know, that that all spills down to, to the rest of the lineup. And so for me, the Avs being back, you know, it, it's definitely about the style of play and playing, you know, playing this go-go style where they're, you know, could just overwhelm teams with uh their offensive performance, but I really think a lot of it is about is about depth and just being able to roll, you know, at, at minimum three lines, you know, the abs at, at their, you know, most dangerous, you can just toss four lines out there and, you know, let Bender kind of play the matchups and have, you know, fresh players on hand as opposed to now where he's just kind of, you know, turning to the bench and saying, Hey, who's, you know, who, who's got 30 seconds in them. Right. And so, right. I, yeah, for me, it's, you know, until Landeskog comes back and we start seeing, you know, the third line really particularly, you know, driving play in games and, and, and you know, putting the puck in the back of the net. To me, that's when the Avalanche will be back back. Okay. Yeah. I think that's a good way of putting it because you don't really know who this team is until their identity is restored, like Jackie says. And that doesn't really happen until your captain is back in the locker room and back on the ice. So, you know, a big part of, you know, whether or not the Avs do find second half success. That's actually why I named the podcast and broadcast today halfway happy because this it feels like at the halfway point, we are exactly halfway happy. We're, we're not quite sure what this avalanche team is, but there's still hope on the horizon based on the fact that there's still so many guys set to come back. And based on those guys set to come back, Evan, do you think it's, more a situation where the Avs are just trying to get into the playoffs with the healthy roster and see what happens outside of positioning inside the division? Or do you think it's realistic for them to make a push to win the division or at least be like one or two in the division? Yeah, I first off, I do, I do really like the the name of it, the the, the podcast. It's wonderful. <laughs> it works out really well. Yeah. And it also, it also kind of at least helps too with my explanation because, you know, I – I wrote the the state of the union of the Colorado Avalanche after their 7-0 win over Ottawa on Saturday. So, um, and I mentioned it in that article and I, I'll mention it again here. Um, and after results in the last few days, um, let's see, Colorado's on 47 points and Winnipeg and Dallas are currently tied for first in the central at 59 yeah. points. So Honestly, I feel like it's a reach for yeah. top of the central. And I, I know I said that a few weeks ago and I, I still kind of believe that. And um, while obviously it was a nice pace of change to return to blowing out teams, the last two games, that's not going to happen every night, at least with this team right now. Um, of course, with, like Jacob said, with the depth, it's just hard to do that. And so for me, at least, I think it's just trying to get into the playoffs. I think, there, there are four points behind Calgary and Edmonton who are both tied in the wild card. That not only does that make Wednesday's game huge against the Flames, but it also, you know, kind of determines what's going to end up happening uh, for the playoffs. I think they'll 
they'll try and obviously go at least for the wild card spot because I mean you have to. But if you can get anywhere above that, if you get to third or second or even first, if if it happens, first off, you need a lot of things to go right. You have to have the abs go on a really big streak and have teams in front of them kind of collapse and break down. Yeah. Um so I think I think anything in the top three of the central is a luxury at this point. That's what I think. But I'm interested to hear what others think. So I'll yeah, pass the and, torch along to someone else. Yeah, and I'll pass it to Jackie just after I make a couple of points here. It's interesting that you say that might be a little crazy because I agree. Uh, and this just shows how good they were in the regular season season last year. They would have to win 34 of the next 40 games in order to oh get as many God. wins as they had last season. That, that'll put it in perspective. And last year... The fifth wild card spot in the West went to a Central Division team. I can't remember if it was the Wild or who it was. It was Nashville because we played Nashville. But they had 50 wins. So that would mean 28 wins in the next 41 for Colorado. And that's only if everything shakes out in the standings that same way. I would say anywhere from 50 to 52 <clears throat> regulation or, yeah, regulation wins is probably a, a, a good start, right? But. You can't really expect that. Like I said, that's a that's a pretty strong streak inside of the second half of the season. What's the outlook for you, Jackie? Are, you, are, are we just trying to sneak into the playoffs here? Um, you can't ever really count this team out, but I would say at this point, catching Dallas or Winnipeg's a little um, unlikely. Mm-hmm. I was surprised. I look at looked at the standings the other day that Winnipeg was leading the West. Yep. So we can't really. I think they're not really taking that seriously. And I just think they're having a really good year. And, and so is Dallas. Um, so I do think the realistic target is trying to pass Minnesota to get that third spot in the division. And it, it is possible. Uh, I know we have games in hand on them, but you got to win your games in hand. Uh, so, and you can control your own destiny better that way, because if you're getting in that wild card conversation, then you do have to worry about Calgary and Edmonton and anybody else that might pop up. So um, they'd be much better served just getting that third in the central. Um, and I even wouldn't think that if that's where they ended up, it would be disappointing. I think if they got their game to a place where they could end up third, like that's what the Tampa Bay lightning are looking at right now. They're going to be third in, in their division. And, Nobody's really considering that disappointing. So I think it's a realistic goal for the Avs, and I actually think it, it would be an accomplishment at this point. Um, you know, the question is, do I think they can do it? Especially after seeing them look be- a lot better the last two games, you definitely feel like it's not something that's out of reach for them. And I don't think it is because we know this team's going to play well, at least at some point. So, um, like I said, I, they're better than just sneaking in. It'd be disappointing if they – just really had to sneak into that last wild card. I, I I don't know. That just doesn't feel like this team. But I think um, I think they're aiming for the third in the division. And I I think they could do it. I agree, and I think with the context of how this season has gone, that is a reasonable goal uh, and something that I think they could strive for. We talked a little bit earlier, a lot earlier in the season about like <laughs> them maybe not having enough to play for potentially if it was similar to a regular season last year, but that's definitely not the case, right? Like heading into the back end of the season, 
they've got a lot to play for, which I think bodes well for their momentum. And add to that, you're going to get basically mid-season additions that aren't coming in the form of transactions, but coming in the form of getting guys back off of injury. So that's a good segue into our next segment. And that was, again, our poll of the week. We sent out a poll every single week. We just kind of want to get a feel of what Avalanche fans are thinking. So please go follow us on Twitter at mhh underscore lab for all of our polls of the week and to you know get involved sometimes too if you comment on it we we drop a little tidbit of that comment here on our live broadcast so moving on to potential returns let's start though with the return of valerian achushkin and i have a pretty crazy fact for you guys the avalanche had not won consecutive games since Valeri Nachushkin left the lineup and then did so immediately when he returned to the lineup. We'll start with you, Jacob. What do you? What's your takeaway from that? And who are you excited to see come back soon? Main takeaway. Main takeaway from that is you know Nachushkin is kind of the beating heart of what the Avs are style stylistically. You know he's yep. he's a Corsi monster. He destroys everybody on on the forecheck, and you know he drives play in a way that it frees up everybody else on the on the team to kind of be themselves that you know when this team doesn't have Nachushkin they they really are not as scary as, as the as they could be they could have every, everybody else at full strength but you know he's he's the big time four checker on the team and he's the one who really drives a, a lot of a lot of play particularly defensively and so that you know stats like that I think make make total sense for for a guy like Nachushkin. Um, and as far as, you know, getting other guys back, Manson has been the one that really has been kind of in the back of my head for a while now, just because, you know, you've got Kale McCarr playing 30 minutes a night because you're injecting him into, you know, all of these defensive situations that, you know, if Manson were healthy, he would be able to take some of that burden off of McCarr. And so I think that Manson is a guy that could have a lot of trickle down effect to the rest of the lineup. Like obviously Byram is the the key player. He's the best, you know, best, all, better all around defenseman, but those big heavy defensive minutes, I feel like are starting to weigh on the abs a little bit and they really need someone like Manson to be able to, to take some of the weight off of, off of the rest of the defensive group. Yeah, and Manson is on the road trip, so that's pretty cool. Um, I'm not sure if that means he'll play, but he's definitely going to make the trip. And then Bednar mentioned that he and Byram are both skating more and more. And then on top of you know what you talked about was sheltering minutes for some of these guys, there was a recent article, I think it was in the Denver Post, about Kale McCarr and how the Avalanche were finally able to keep him under basically 30 minutes of ice time for the first time in a long time, well, not under 30 minutes, but an inordinate amount of ice time, they were able to get him off the ice in their last matchup against Detroit, which hasn't been common. Um, They were able to do so because they they got an early lead. Evan, do you think like that is almost more important, the more important factor of getting these guys back other than their contributions on the ice? It's more like the spreading of that ice time is crucial for the top four defenders. It's definitely both for sure. I mean, we've already seen both Rantanen and Makar taking maintenance days at practice the last, I know at least the last few couple practices because they've been skating so much and working hard and Makar having 30 plus minutes a night and super great that that has at least been 
cut down at least a little bit the last couple of games, which is great. Um, and that'll only help them stay healthy and help this team get healthier, all those things. It all, it all just kind of works together as a wheel, right? Like that's, if you can get your guys back and playing not 30 minutes a night, then that's great and phenomenal yeah. and it helps everybody. So um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to and hoping that Manson will maybe play me like Seattle on, on Saturday. Yeah. I don't know if I would push him for Calgary, especially. I don't think I would push him for Calgary because that game's just going to be big in its own right. Maybe Vancouver on Friday if he's feeling it, but you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be certain on it. And then also just to kind of wrap it up kind of funnily, did you guys see on, on Twitter, I think it was a couple hours ago, um, Manson was skating with Byram just on his own red non-contact. And then he went onto the other rink and Byram was like, oh, he graduated and like was slapping <laughs> his stick on the ice. And I was like, that's so wholesome. Oh, like, yeah. They're boys. It's, it's, they are, they're boys. Yeah. Like, yeah, he that's... graduated, he's going on. And so- <laughs> You know, that, of course, that'll give the team a good chuckle. It gives us a good chuckle. Uh, and, you know, hopefully it drives him only further. Hopefully it drives both of them further because I'm sure Bo wants to graduate too. Yeah, exactly. Well, our best ever performing podcast was when we did the injury timelines and Jackie just rattled off all the timelines. And at that point, it felt like the beginning of January and mid-January, we were going to see a lot of guys come back. That's not quite how it's shaken out for a slew of reasons. Like Nachushkin came back and then got hurt again, blah, blah, blah. A lot of guys have helm too. So, uh, but with that, again, last week, Jackie, you know, you pointed out that Byram is the missing, one of the big missing pieces in your mind. Um, tell me like, what can we expect from him when he returns and what does he bring to the lineup that they're lacking right now? Maybe outside of depth. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Oh boy. Well, everyone should know I'm a pretty big Byron fan. I think we all are, but I definitely am <laughs> big Byron preach it, fan. Jackie, preach it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think just the anecdote that Evan shared is um, one of those off ice things. Like he, he has a big personality and not in so much like a, like big personalities are, you know, maybe loud or talks a lot, but he just has this little bit of edge to him, this little bit of sarcasm, this little bit of joy. I think he brings the team a lot of energy. And I think, that's something they're missing. Like he plays with a lot of swagger. And I think, you know, that's something else that, 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 that aside from just his, his speed his puck handling puck moving ability, and he can score. I think he definitely is a little un- underrated in the scoring department by a lot of people, but just to like his presence, I, I really think that they need that. And, and I think that was one of the keys to them winning the cup really was just the big, the role that he was able to take on, but then just also, he's just somebody they need around. Um, so I think, uh, I would say that he's probably the most important guy to get back. You know, land Landy does bring a lot of off ice things as well. So, um, it'd probably be between those two, but, um, do you want me to get into my injury predictions again? Yeah, let's <laughs> do it. Say, go, yeah. go for it. 
And I like to, I'm going to pat myself on the back. I think I did okay with the timelines back then. Yeah. The only one I think so. you were really wrong about was Nachushkin, and you weren't wrong. He did come back. He just yeah. ended up getting hurt again. <laughs> yeah, I was and, probably well, I was same, a little optimistic on Byram too, but yeah. like, you know, we can only do so much with the information we're given as say, well. I think that was fair <laughs> based on the fact that he's been skating for like a month and a half. Um. So... Uh, I do not think Manson will play on this trip. I guess never say never, but I don't really think that's the intention. Uh, I just think because he's at a point where he can skate with the team now that it, it makes sense that he um, can join with the team. I guess it's kind of interesting because they do have that back-to-back and um, they're definitely not going to skate on that day that they're in Seattle, but uh, it's a positive. Like Byron said, he's kind of graduated to the next step of of skating and his recovery. And I know that like a lot of people say, well, what does this, all this skating mean? That's all you ever hear is like, he's skating. And then, and then he, a month later he plays, but there's definitely like steps to it. And if you are really following it and, and seeing what they do and um, you, you can see the progression and you can see the progress. So I don't think he's quite there yet. Um, uh, Benner on the radio said that, uh, really, the target for him and Byram is after the All-Star break, which should right. be early February. Um, but it, it is interesting. With him going on the trip and being on the team, is he going to maybe push that in, in a little bit earlier? Because there is still a couple weeks left to go. But I'll probably say no. At this point, they do kind of need to be more cautious with the guys. Like, there's no real reason to rush somebody either. And then... Um, Byram is at least working with Allard, which means it's more than just skating. It's like on ice conditioning type of stuff. It's starting to push things. So that's good. And he's been on the ice for more than a week now. So um, those are still positives. Uh, So I'd say after the break for him as well. Um, Mulgan, it seems like he has one of those month-long upper body injuries. So how long has he been injured? Like a week and a half. So probably after the break for him as well. Kind of similar um, to the McKinnon timeline, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably. Maybe he That's... dislocated his shoulder or something. So it seems like about a month for him. Um, Landeskog, Benner on the radio, explained. Like, he's not in Denver. He's getting treatment somewhere. And I, I wonder if it's the same place that Byram went. I don't know if you mentioned on the pod last week, but Byram actually went to like Pennsylvania for two weeks to work with some world renowned injury recovery trainer hmm. um, that worked with Peyton Manning and Tiger Woods. And hey now. so that's like a, a big, um, I don't know, investment, I guess you could say. And you would think sure. if they sent Byram there, why wouldn't they send Landeskog there? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> you, you, so you're probably on something there for sure. I don't know, but <clears throat> I think he's supposed to be back after the break. He might start getting on the ice, but it's going to be really slow. So, like, he's going to need at least, like, a month on the ice. So, yeah, truly, if there's any ahead, more sorry. setback, he really might not be back until the playoffs. Yeah. I was going to say, because it felt like there was a moment where they were like, well, he might be get back on the ice. And then they were like, he's still not feeling right. Um, and then I think he was just passed. testing it. Yeah. Like, the thing with him is, he just wanted to see just how does it feel like he wasn't ready to be on the ice yet, but he just wanted to know what does it feel like when I take a stride? What does it feel like when he's doing just these really small movements? And so that's like basically where he's going to have to start is just like truly baby steps. 
And then just to finish it off, Helm, you know, he gave it a valiant effort. He made it through five games. I think this is it. I yeah. just just don't don't expect much there. I'm this is what I'm saying. It's too bad, but he, too many his age, surgeries, too many setbacks. I don't think he's gonna play again. I was gonna say, do you think he just retires? Kind of like a mid season retire type of deal, or do you yeah. think he, he hangs on? <laughs> uh I mean, he could try, but he might. He might try. I don't know. It's I, just, I just it's like you said. It's an interesting situation based on his age and kind of where he's at in his career. It felt like last year was like his last hurrah, and then we brought him back again this year, and and we know how it's gone. Evan, I think I kind of cut you off there. What yeah, do you have I, to I say was gonna say. I was gonna say by by the sound of things, it sounds like that also Helm might just be out for the year. And yeah. Bed, I mean, Bednar didn't sound too optimistic about it when he was asked about which it, which is so. essentially retirement for him. Yeah, yeah. which is a re- that's a real real shame. Like you only play five games in your final year after winning the Stanley Cup, and you're like, oh, we're gonna do it again. You know? Yeah. Back it up, run run it back. But but yeah. maybe he's a guy that you put in your back pocket, and maybe in the third and fourth round if you're lucky enough to be there he's actually an option again as weird as that sounds you know i was yeah i was gonna mention that but you know who knows apparently we need him in the second round with six seconds left (laughs) um and we'll be okay uh but but thank you jackie he didn't get to play against huso again he didn't get i know the last shot huso ever faced against the abs was that shot from darren helm and unfortunately helm could not repeat that so oh well and and just just to double back to the the Red Wings game, uh, I found it interesting that like I can't help it. I don't think anyone can. When you think Avs and Red Wings, you think about all of the the bloody brutality that was in the late '90s and early 2000s. But like we kind of forget too that there's a modern tinge to the rivalry that is the Avalanche and Red Wings with the whole Tyler Bertuzzi and his antics. I was kind of surprised we didn't see more of that in the last game um and jacob i'll ask you because i feel like you have a a similar respect for the era but do you miss kind of the the grunginess of that era and and that rivalry or is this like form of hockey more satisfying to your palate uh, I mean, yes to both. It is it is a better brand of hockey. I think that like anybody who is you know wistful for the 1990s is more wistful of the the results than the process that got there. <laughs> but I mean, you know, those massive brawls where Waugh is fighting with Vernon, and then next year he's fighting with Chris Osgood, and then a couple years later he almost fights with Dominic Hasek. Like, there those are so unique. And, uh, you know, I think that's one of the issues with, like, looking back to the, the Halcyon days and trying to say, let's recreate this. Like, what made that so special was the fact that it was unique. And so, you know, if we keep trying to, you know, force the the issue here, that just kind of detracts from, from how special it was. That was just, it was the perfect confluence of events, the perfect groups of players at the at the exact same time. And, you know, it was one big spark, you know, I guess you could say two between the Claude Lemieux hit and the Avs, you know, taking out the the best season ever for the Wings that year that really started that rivalry. And there's just there's no way that you're going to be able to to recreate the, those conditions. I just don't think that the NHL is ever going to see anything like that again, so long as they have a salary cap in place. Yeah. And, uh, and I'll get into some of the tweets based on what you just said, because one of the tweets I sent out last night was 
if you watch the unrivaled documentary, they touch on this a little bit, but in, in, from the avalanche perspective, they argued that the, that the rivalry really started when Adam foot was put into the glass face first by Kozlov and bloodied no call. It's actually a pretty <laughs> infamous picture of Adam foot bloodied and pissed, um, slamming his cheap. helmet at the ref. Um, and you know, that garnered a little bit of a reaction from Red Wing fans. But the tweet that Evan sent out about basically a reality check, I would I would consider the tweet you sent out, which was contrary to, to what the rest of the Avalanche media are saying, the Avs still have some proving to do to say whether or not they're back. And Evan, I'm going to give you now as your chance to kind of expand on that and, and tell people what you what you meant there. Yeah, I meant, I meant to actually mentioned that during our poll of the week section, but I just forgot. So, so thank I. you for coming back. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for coming back to it. Um, no, because I think it all just kind of, you know, goes back to what we were saying earlier in this, in this podcast is that they played Ottawa and Detroit, two teams that they should beat, Right. And yeah, they beat the brakes off of them. They scored 12 straight goals without giving up a goal. And it looked like the abs of old, which is awesome and great. And obviously puts a smile on all of our faces. Um, but it is also Ottawa and Detroit. And we've also seen that teams that are also in similar positions like Vancouver, Chicago, Arizona earlier this year when they lost at the mullet, like those are those are games that you're expected to win. And if you don't win those games and drop those points, they're huge points that have been dropped. And, you know, we've already seen that this year. And so, you know, everybody's saying, oh, they're back. The abs are back after two games, you know, it was, it's just a, I, I just don't think you can turn around as quickly as that. Like, I don't, I don't think that you can do just a 180 like that. Yeah. It's, it's the homers in us. Like you, you mentioned altitude, like, yeah, they're, they're meant to hype it up. And I don't know if, if Mark Mosier, Mark Redcroft, any of them listen to this, we love, I love you guys. You guys are awesome. But you know, I just think, I just think it's something that like, we just need to like, hold on, like check ourselves, like try not to get ahead of ourselves, I guess yeah. is the best way to put it. And so I think really to kind of end it is there's six, six games, seven games till the all-star break. Let's see where they are then. Right. And then let's see how they come out after that like week long break. Then I will be excited if they do really well in these next six games or if they, you know, drop a bunch of these upcoming games, then I'll be like, mm, I don't know. So I really, I, I just want to say get to the all-star break and then let's analyze there. Yeah. I think that's astute. I also think that like jumping to conclusions based on two good outings that the last one you could argue ended in a way that I would say Bednar probably wasn't too fond with giving up some goals when you have a five goal lead. Um, Jackie, maybe, maybe you can tell me like, is it one of those things where if, if the avalanche come out of the break and are dominant, will we look back at this time and say, that's when it started? Or do you still think it's going to be based on, you know, one of the bigger wins against say like Calgary tomorrow or uh, one of the more formidable opponents in the future. Um, just to touch real quick on a couple of the other things and then I'll get to your question. Um, I, uh, I do want to say if people love the line brawls and all that stuff, the ECHL still exists (laughs) and, and all that stuff's there. 
and you can go watch that. <laughs> like great. it's not gone. In general, the game has moved to more skill, but when you're at that level, things happen. So I just want to remind people if that's what There's you a love, market. you can go watch it. <laughs> great. Uh, our affiliate is the Utah Grizzlies. So there you go. Knock yourself out. Um, go, go Grizz. <laughs> Um, as far as and I just want to touch on the rivalry thing you know and I agree a lot of the it was like the perfect storm and and they just faced Detroit so often in like these meaningful moments I think there's potential I I would maybe think of Vegas or St. Louis where there is a little bit of that that nasty um yeah something bubbling under the surface and I think if they they really match up several more times sort of in this era where it's meaningful you could get into like a rivalry of that type it just it just has to build on itself so um getting back to your point your question was when will we see the turning point i guess it's hard to say without it having really turned but um i i think if they do start playing better you will look at um getting getting back in the lineup is a big one um and yeah, seven nothing win like that's always going to stick out in any season. Right. So I think it's possible. Uh, we'll be seen as like the beginning of of a good run. But I agree, you also need to have like a statement win, in not just the score, but who you beat. So yeah, um, yeah either beating Calgary, I think they play St. Louis fairly soon. That's going to be another big one. It's their last um, game before the break. Yeah. Yeah, when they Huge. play. I don't think they play Minnesota. They might not play Minnesota till the end of February. So that one's going to be big if you want to pass them. But so like some of these bigger ones, um, like Seattle's actually having a pretty good Saturday season. That's going to yeah. be. I was going to point that one out. Yeah. Good one. The second so, of the back to back for back that. Back to yeah. Yeah. So there might be a signature win coming along <laughs> down the line that we're going to point to, but I definitely think it's a good start. Like, Seven to nothing is always important. I'd say it's always it's such a tone setter. Yeah. So ho- hopefully they can continue to build off of it. Yeah, and to to branch off the halfway happy, I think you're totally right because we don't really know. Like we, it feels like they're starting to turn the corner, but it there hasn't been that statement win against a formidable opponent to completely solidify it. So it's not really something we can identify yet. Uh, but yeah, the Nachushkin returning thing, I totally agree with as well. Uh, I think you see just how important he is to how the rest of the lineup shakes out when you can put him in on the second line or wherever really you put him in. He just adds another piece and he allows, especially a guy like Rodriguez, to play where he should be playing. You know what I mean? Like he, Rodriguez, I've been incredibly impressed with a lot of people. Yeah, talk I should about, have mentioned him. Yeah, I, I regret not mentioning him with Lekkonen and, and Newhook. So I definitely want to point that out because he really has had some incredible passes the last couple of games. For sure. And and everyone's like, oh, well, the Avs are going to have to pick up a 2C. I don't really know if that's true. Um, Rodriguez has will. looked. You think they will? <laughs> no, I don't no, think they will. Yeah, I don't think we can afford. I don't think the Avs can afford to. So I don't think they will either. Um, and I don't necessarily think it's that that they have to. If they want to replicate the way they won last year and and thus win the same ways and the same trophies, that's what they'd have to do. But that's not the only way to win a Stanley Cup. I mean, I think if you look <clears throat> even from the time when Tampa won it first to the time when they won it the second time, their routes through 
those seasons were really different. And I don't think that it's an issue if the Avalanche aren't replicating the success that they had last year. But I think simultaneously, that's what they're being held to by their fan base, which is why I think you guys are all really smart and saying, you know, whoa, pump the brakes. Because that's why we set ourselves up for failure as Avalanche fans. We know what they look like when they're amazing, and we just want that back. It's it's the same as that gap between championships where it was like, we know this team is is a great franchise. We know that we've seen this former glory, Forsberg, Sackick, yada, yada. Now we won last year, and the cycle continues. Now it's, but these guys were this last year, and, and what the heck, who are they? Well, that's... That's a totally different team. Evan, what do you think of that? Yeah, three words. We are we were spoiled. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and you know, we I think it, it took me a second to recognize that. And I, I'm sure there are maybe others who are still maybe recognizing that, but we were spoiled. And, you know, it all just kind of worked out. And I think I think especially key to the run last year were the acquisitions that were made. Yeah, forget Nico Sturm's acquisition, but I'm more talking about like Lekkonen's accusation, ac- accus- not accusation, acquisition. but <laughs> acquisition, that word, um, that like that was obviously huge and they've kept them, which is great and awesome. But you think about how they got them. Yeah. Justin Barron, gone. Drew Hel- Drew Drew Hellison, gone, right? You lost players, you lost draft picks. The Avs don't have that luxury this time around. And I'm sure we'll probably have a, more in-depth discussion when it comes to closer to the trade deadline and, you know, working with the prospects and things that we've got, but they don't have that same luxury. So if you are going to try and go for someone like a Bo Horvat or a Sean Monahan that they've been linked to as of late, it's going to be much tougher. And particularly because of our first round draft pick, which I just don't think is going to get, they don't want that moved or touched at all. Yeah. The abs don't really have a lot of draft capital to throw around in the form of a trade. And I think like, uh, Jacob, you mentioned uh, on a few podcasts, like the defensive depth clearly being an issue. And we've talked about the Avs possibly bringing someone in. Do you think like the guys you've seen come up, like say Andreas Englund, have they done enough for you to change your opinion on that? Or do you think that there's still holes to be filled? Yeah, I'm a lot less worried now than I was at the beginning of the season when it looked like it was Curtis McDermott and Jacob McDonald as Mm. their, you know, seventh and eighth defensemen. But, you know, England and Brad Hunt both, I think, have have performed pretty well in those seventh and eighth defensive, uh, you know, spots. So I don't think they really need to patch up the the depth on that, especially since, you know, the expectation is that Manson and Byram will be coming back soon, you know. The issue really with the team all year is that the bottom six has just gotten killed. And so they I think that if they are going to go out and try and find somebody at the deadline, they need they need to patch up, you know, either in the middle six to, you know, push, you know, maybe have JT Comfer center the the third line. They just they need more depth in the in the bottom six, you know, particularly right now. You know, seems like the last month or so, Bedner has basically not played a fourth line and he just has, you know, an extra forward and has been rolling three lines. And so like there's pretty much an admission by the abs that, you know, they're not a full, you know, 12 forward team at, at this point. And so I think that if they do make a trade, which I'm not so sure they should, because, you know, as Jackie has pointed out, you know, tons of times, youth is very hard to to replenish. You know, you have the draft. That's, that's really it. Occasionally you'll get lucky with like a Ben Myers college, college free agent, but you can't really plan around those. And they don't have much draft capital. I don't think they have a, a second through fourth, 
this year and next year they don't have a second or a third and so you know those first round picks right now that's all they've really got to try to patch up the depth and so you know last year that was the the go for it year where you do say you know just empty the clip let's trade baron trade hellison we've got you know kadri and burakovsky on expiring <laughs> contracts this has to happen now and now i i think they they can be a little more patient and just say hey you know our, our trade deadline acquisitions are going to be gabriel landeskog and it's going to be bo byram and you know you're not going to be able to pick up a better player at the trade deadline most likely than than those two guys yeah i agree yeah. with you. i agree with you on that completely and i I think you're you're right that maybe they need more help in the bottom six, but that you're also right and that they might just not have the assets to find something in that regard that's really worth giving up any prospects or draft capital. And and to kind of expand on that though, Jackie, what do you think is do you think Barons might make an appearance this season or in the playoffs, or do you think he's gonna stay in the college ranks? Mm. With him, I think it could go either way. Um, he could sign and turn pro, but he'd go to the Eagles. Like, there's no way the Abs right. would use him. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm really on the fence there. It depends how the season finishes. Uh, you know, it's a little risky going to the AHL after sophomore year. I think after junior year, you get a lot more leverage, a.k.a. promises. Yeah. So... Just kind of depends what he wants to do, but he's not going to be an option for the Avs either way. Um, yeah. If he's not sneaking and, in the Avs lineup, then I don't think he'll make that choice. No. Yeah, which is true because then after junior year, you could maybe kind of push for things like that a little bit more. Yep. Um, so it might be better for him if he doesn't sign. And and just on the deadline, like I uh, – <laughs> It's like my least favorite thing just because I think the rumors are all just like nonsense. Like the whole like the abs are going to be aggressive. I guess it depends if you view what they did last year as aggressive or not. I mean, they definitely made moves and they made good moves, but they didn't go for the big rental, the big 2C rental. They've never done that. Why on earth would they no. do that this year? It's just makes it's just nonsense to me. They don't have the assets for it and they've never done it before and at least they have the luxury of they've at least won one cup. So they're just not completely desperate at, at chasing things. Like this isn't their last hurrah. They're going to have this core and they really do need to start thinking about where are the assets going to come from for the next deadline. And then one after that, and the one after that, like we want as many shots at this as possible. And you've really got to think about this year probably isn't going to be the next best shot. It could be next year or, or the year after. So you just, you have to manage it properly. And and I do love like the thought process of getting a Lekin in an RFA that maybe another team is undervalued and that's how they got Taze. And, and they, they're really good at getting those kind of deals. It's just, they don't have anything to, to trade for those anymore. Yeah. And, and so, um, you know, I, maybe they can pull a rabbit out of the hat. I'd love for them to go, go after maybe, say, like, Lawson Krause of Arizona. Like, he's somebody sort of in the same spot. But it's just going to be really tough to pull off. I do think they're going to make a trade. I think they've made a trade every deadline day for, like, the last 13 consecutive years or something. Sure. Um, so they're going to do something. I think they're just going to replace Helm. I think yeah. with maybe next year's fourth, if that buys them anything, like the last remaining draft pick they have that aren't first, maybe a prospect that they're sick of, say a Boranta, you know, <laughs> somebody that hasn't 
passed through waivers yet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, maybe he's a guy that, <laughs> that, that has a little bit of value, value. And, yeah. and could get get them a four C. I think that's what they're going to do. So I'd say start researching all those four C options because you're likely going to hit one more there than going down the Monahan and the Horvat route. Like the Monahan thing, just as an aside, drives me crazy. Montreal got a first round pick to take him. Yeah. He has scored 17 points. So you're saying 17 points later, he is now a commodity that we have to run out and acquire. That's insane to me. If they liked him that much, they could have taken the free first and then used that first Mm -hmm. to get something else. Just doesn't make sense. It wouldn't. That would basically mean (laughs) that we know something that they don't, which. Yeah, that like I don't usually think he's terrible, but if you liked him enough back then, then make that deal. Yep. Don't do it now after <clears> he <throat> scored 17 points and has been injured half the season. Like, no thank you. That's insane to me. So that's just it, part of why I hate the deadline. Yeah, <laughs> it, well, it's I'm, just Montreal. It's just yeah. Montreal. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. That's such a grown-up grown up outlook and thing to say. To say that, like, this might not be the next best chance this season for the Avs to win a cup. And, like, with that, I feel like this might be the first time we're seeing management have to work with a different frame of mind. Um, In terms of it being like, yeah, this is a window, but we've hit inside the window. And we pushed all our chips into the center of the table to do so. And now we have to figure out a way to mitigate the damage of doing so while staying just as competitive. And that's that's not something you do by paying too much and trading too much for a rental, period. And so I think, like I said, it's a very grown-up thing to, to think because naturally when you win a championship, you're, you are wanting to go back and you have every right to feel like you can and should – as a fan and, and a team, but that's not always the reality. In fact, more often than not, it's the opposite of reality. It's harder than it ever is. And I know I beat up on the lightning a lot for how they used their having been thereness to sway doubts that they had inside of the Stanley Cup final. But it does say a lot about that group that they were able to repeat and in, a, and in such a different way, because now as Avalanche fans, we know just how difficult that can be, even just in the regular season, much less what we might run into in the playoffs. So, Evan, I'm going to come back to you just for some final thoughts. Uh, is there anything that we've touched on today that kind of surprised you? Or do you think that what we see is what we're getting right now with the Avalanche and the storylines? revolving no i think i think what we're seeing is what we're getting i think it's just kind of it is what it is right now at this point and we just kind of have to live with it and it's just kind of been like that for the last i guess really two months if you think about it so you know it's just work with it move on accept it and you know have a players meeting if you need to because <laughs> apparently one. that does the trick yeah. and then also also i because his name hasn't been mentioned yet and i want to give him a shout out Shout out to Pavel Frantzos yeah. because he's back from injury, from illness, all the things that, you know, were, were bad for him over like December. So yeah. 
it gives the abs more um, choices in in the back in the crease, and also gives Georgiev some rest after playing all those games. And so, you know, and for Francis to come in in one of his first games and shut out the Ottawa Senators is, I think that that's making a statement that shows yeah. that you know I'm here to stay. Like, sure, I may not be the preferred number one choice, but. Jared Bednar can now run with a 1A and 1B. There's no distinct number one mm-hmm. um, like Georgiev was for about a month when Jonas Johansson was backing him up. So it gives them options. It helps them in the crease. And, you know, it's great to be able to just give Georgiev some rest because he also was involved in all of the chaos of the last month and a half. Right. And so to have him you know, both physically and mentally rested is a good thing. Um, I would expect him to play against Calgary on Wednesday, just because that is a big game and he'll want to be in the right spot physically and mentally for it. Um, and especially since Francis has played three straight already. So, um, but yeah, shout out to him. He's also a quiet, but deadly um, reason why this team is perhaps turning the corner. Yeah. I, I like that. I, yeah. I think, Francois is like a calming presence. Like he has such a, I know the meme is like relax. Frankie says relax, but <laughs> he says relax. He is just such a chill. I think he he gives that to the team. Like he's mm-hmm. just so relaxed back there, and I think it does kind of calm them down. So I like giving Frank a shout out because because I've always liked him over the last couple of years. So I he's, I do think he's one part of of their improvement for sure. And I still like George a lot too. So. Yeah, both of I, them going is perfect. It, I think uh, Frankie strikes me as like the best kind of backup, even though he's not really a backup in terms of ability. I think he would probably start in ten to fifteen other places, um, but with the Avs, like even when you look at last season, he it seemed like he and Kemper had a pretty solid relationship. And I feel like anytime you have a guy like Frankie backstopping you, you know, if it's just not your day and you get ran, like you're not leaving your team hanging. You know that there's another guy there who the team trusts just as much as you, but in a different kind of way. And I think that instills a lot of confidence, especially in a guy like Gorgiev, who like the last three or so starters for the Avs have been have come in from a diminished role on a different team. So I think it's like these guys get promoted to what we consider a starter. Gorgiev was named the starter in the offseason. But they have a guy like Frankie back there who kind of takes the edge off, a little bit of the expectation off, because if you have a bad stretch of games like Gorgiev did and your confidence comes down and Frankie comes in and takes the next two starts and gets a shutout in one of them, you're like, okay, you can relax. So, Jacob, what do you think about that? And do you have any final thoughts on what we've talked about? Yeah, I mean, I I don't really have anything else to add. I think you all nailed the the Francois Georgi relationship. It is it is very nice having a a backup that you can turn to like he like he's a starter, and I think that that's definitely going to help the Abs going forward. Just you know, if nothing more than to to give Georgi a rest, because you know if Johansson was still was still on the on the roster, you know this stretch right here, this road trip, Calgary on Wednesday, Vancouver on Friday, Seattle on Saturday. You know, Georgi probably plays all three of those games, and that's that's a lot of hockey in a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. And so, stretches like that, uh, you know, Francois, that's he's huge for. Um, the final thought I, I I have is that essentially, if you look at the Avs' schedule, there is actually room for a lot of optimism here. If 
we, you know, if this is the turning point in the season, if seven nothing is is where the Avalanche become the Avs and they go on a bit of a run here, they're playing a bunch of playoff teams uh, in this next six week stretch. Like they've got a, a five five game stretch at Pittsburgh, at Tampa, at Florida versus Tampa, at Minnesota. You know, they end it with Edmonton, Winnipeg, Calgary, Vegas, New Jersey, Dallas, Seattle. It's just brutal. Oh yeah. And then, on March 7th, the, the heavens open up and they see San Jose, they see Arizona, they get Montreal, Chicago, Arizona, Anaheim. And yeah. so, you know, there is yeah, a world a in which, that's a good point. Abs, yeah, like if the abs catch, you know, get get on a hot streak right here and they start beating a lot of these good teams, I guarantee you our podcast, you know, the week of, let's say the March 5th, March 7th, once they start playing San Jose and Arizona and Anaheim and San <laughs> again we're going to be banging the drums saying hey look they're hot and now they're playing everybody in the Connor Bedard sweepstakes yeah. you know, they've got yeah. a stretch that at the end of the season the 12 of their 16 games uh in a row are against teams out of the playoff picture and like very low down they basically play everybody in the Connor Bedard sweepstakes in that stretch except for Columbus and so you know the the thing that I'm holding out, out hope for is just this this late season run it has you know hot streak written all over it yeah, it'd be just like them to win a bunch of games against all these really good teams and then like go 500 in that time frame when they're playing the okay teams. Yeah, right. Jackie, do you have anything to say about what Jacob just said? And do you have any final thoughts? Um, No, it's a good point. I hadn't looked that far ahead into the schedule. So it is interesting that this is a really tough stretch. And then it, um, I know they haven't played San Jose and, Air- and Anaheim yet. So yeah, no, that's, that's an interesting point. Um. Let's see. Any final final thoughts? Not quite yet. Um, you know, we'll we'll see how. I, I think Evan was the one who mentioned. Uh, we'll really know by the break in six or seven games what where this team's headed in the second half. So I, I think that's important. And um, and then obviously there's going to be a lot more deadline chatter. Six more weeks of that. Um, <laughs> So I think those are probably the two biggest things to watch for this team in, in the next little bit. So, yeah, I think, I think I've already given up all my big points. So I think I'm good. (laughs) Cool. I think when we get each week, we get closer to the deadline. We're going to set up a satirical segment where Jackie dishes a ridiculous (laughs) trade rumor through the frustration in her teeth (laughs) <laughs> the, the, the like the trade room with jackie k and it's just gonna be like, <laughs> how the abs get have you crosby. heard the news Sidney crosby being traded for nathan mckinnon <laughs> what yeah that's what we're gonna do evan uh, i saw you yeah, saw you I, throw up the i was gonna say i have thing. one more and yeah. it actually kind of helps with jackie's point of the of her trade room uh and i'm just gonna say it and just leave it at it <laughs> Sam Gerard has seven points in eleven games. He's not going anywhere. No. <laughs> what Jackie not. said. What yeah. Jackie said. Yeah, that's what we're going to title the trade deadline episode: Jackie's mm-hmm. trade deadline room. And, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I like it. I like yeah. it. Evan, Jacob, and Jackie, thank you three for joining me today. And thank all of you folks for listening and for tuning into our live broadcast on YouTube. If you don't know that we do that and you listen to us on Megaphone or iTunes or Spotify, go on over to YouTube.com. 
hit Mile High Hockey Lab in the search bar. You'll find us there, and every single one of our live broadcasts are available there. Please head on over to Twitter. Um, all I think I'm not sure, Jacob. I have never found you on Twitter unless you're just on the dark web. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, I'm just Evan, at, at Jake Wineland. Oh, dang! Well, now look at me. What a terrible producer doesn't even have his own <laughs> guys Twitter. But either way, go follow us all on Twitter. Go head to MileHighHockey.com for any of your latest news and you know some of the great writing by all three of the folks on this panel we have even more writers coming into the mix and i like to steal a slogan that the altitude guys say all the time we have more and more listeners coming to the show every day so thank you folks for listening 